Thank you, worship team. And thank you guys for joining us, SBC family. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, this is a very surreal moment for me as I look out at all of these empty seats and realize we're not all together, but we are all together. We're all together online in a very different way. Uh, but the day is coming. The day is coming, hopefully sooner rather than later, when we get to gather again in this place and worship side by side, worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and experience really one of the greatest gifts God gave his church, and that's each other, the body of Christ. I want you to begin to envision and dream about the day when these seats are all filled and we're worshiping like we just got done worshiping with united voice in one place at one time. What a glorious day that will be. Just start to think about that and dream about that because my hope is it's coming sooner than we think. But here's the second part of that challenge. Uh, I don't know what your world has been like, but I've spent a lot of time taking laps around my neighborhood trying to get my kids out of the house. And I've interacted with a lot of neighbors that I've never seen before. And from a great distance, hey, how's it going? They scatter across the road when they see my herd coming. But just to say hi and to get to know them a little bit. And all of a sudden, what I was reminded of is a while back, we did a series, this idea called Love One that you would begin to think and pray about who's the one person in your world that you would like to share the hope of Jesus Christ with. And I hope you continue to do that. As a church, we keep praying for those individuals, and I hope you're praying as well. But maybe expand that vision to this. Uh, as you picture this room, or the Cactus Campus, or my family up at Northridge, as we, as we picture that, full of people, worshiping, celebrating what Jesus Christ has done in our lives and the hope that we have in Christ, uh, maybe I just encourage you to, to picture this. Who does God want standing right next to you. Maybe he's never darkened the doors of this church or any church, but you know right now that they need the hope of Jesus Christ more than any other time. And who are those people that God might have put in your world that you could just invite into this place? I'm a firm believer in this. We're gonna be a church that loves and welcomes all that God puts in our path. And I can tell you this, there's never been a time, at least that I've experienced in my lifetime, uh, where our culture and our world is more hungry and starving for the hope of Jesus Christ and community and the opportunity we have as brothers and sisters in Christ to unite around one common thing and that being Jesus. And so just begin to think and pray. And as you go for your walks, I know it's getting hot out, but you can still get out there. As you go for your walks and you look and you see, maybe God put somebody on your heart that he wants sitting right in one of these seats to celebrate and worship our Savior together. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys today. We're going to continue our 316 series. If you guys remember last week, Jamie introduced this whole series really in one of the most important passages and the greatest place we could start in this understanding that God's truth, God's word is transcendent. It trumps all other truth. We can learn things. We can reason. We can, we can we reveal things to us as we observe nature and the things around us. But at the end of the day, the word of God trumps all other knowledge and understanding because it is the sole source of truth that we stand upon. And so it's there that we're gonna pick up that series today in Ecclesiastes 3.16. As Rick said last week, the topic is injustice. And so I'm gonna tell you a story. It's not the most glorifying story for me, but it's a time in which I experienced injustice and I responded to it. And that's really where we're gonna spend some of our time today is, is looking at, okay, what do we do when injustice is done to us? And so it was 10 years ago, I was coaching my seven-year-old daughter. She's, we're a way older now, but at the time she was seven. And I was coaching her in soccer. And because I was the coach, I had the privilege of bringing my five-year-old son to play on the team. And so I had my five-year-old and my seven-year-old playing against a bunch of other seven-year-olds in rec soccer. And rec soccer at that time was four on four, and they would just run around and kick each other and, and, and stumble all over the place. We were the orange team. 
And I had uh, two or three soccer players and I had five or six ladybug chasers on my team, but we had fun. And the season was moving along and everything was going great until a particular Saturday morning where we played the gray team. And the gray team, we start off, everything's going fine until it comes time to sub. And so I get my four players off and I send in my next four ladybug chasers out onto the field and then here comes the gray team subs. And three little kids run out on the field and then there's one individual that caught my eye. I don't know this person's name. We're going to call her Bertha for the sake of our story today. Bertha was about a foot and a half taller than everybody else on the field. She was as tall as a referee. She outweighed everybody by about 20 or 30 pounds. Not overweight, just big. She did, I hit a growth spurt at five. I don't know. She was a giant. And so Bertha runs out on the field. I think, oh, it's interesting. Game goes on about two minutes into the game. Here comes Bertha from out of nowhere, off from the side, and she runs into the little herd of orange players and chasing ladybugs, and there they are, and she just comes up and boom, clips one of my little girls right in the back of the leg, and she drops to the ground, just starts crying, and tears are flowing down her face. So I run out onto the field, hey, sweetie, are you okay? And I look up at the referee, and he's a 13-year-old kid making five bucks a game, and I go, hey, you gonna say something about this? And he just kind of shrugs at me. I thought, okay, that's interesting. So I get this little girl off, I hand her off to her mom and she's just sobbing to her mom and I look at the bench and I send my next little ladybug chaser out there and off she goes, prances out on the field. Not 30 seconds after the game starts again, here comes Bertha, exact same scenario, comes running in from the sideline, doesn't even go for the ball and just swings her leg wildly and bang, clips another one of my little girls. And down she goes and they keep a dust on the ground. And so I look over at the parents of the gray team and I say, hey, are you guys gonna say something about this? And a man at the end, it might have been Bertha's father, maybe her parole officer, he just looks out at his little girl and goes, way to play aggressive, sweetie. Are you kidding me? Just clip two of my girls. And so I go out, I scoop up my second one, I bring her back, hand her off to her mom, I look at my bench, and I send my daughter onto the field. My little daughter Delaney, she goes prancing onto the field because that's what she does. She prances everywhere she goes, and she's just having a good time out there when all of a sudden here comes Bertha, running with a full head of steam. And she doesn't even swing her leg this time. She just goes in like a wrecking ball and like a middle linebacker blows up the whole herd. And as the dust begins to settle, I look out and there's my little girl on the ground just sobbing. And I look over at the bench again. And this time the parole officer or father, I don't know, he meets eyes with me. And I look at him with a puzzled look like, are you going to do something about this? And he breaks eye contact with me, looks out at his little girl and goes, you stay aggressive, sweetie. You stay out there and stay aggressive. Well, man, the rage that built up inside of me, Papa Bear came out and I began to walk out on that field real slow and I get out to my daughter and she's just crying. And I scoop this little girl up. I didn't comfort her because I was too frustrated. I walk her off the field. I kind of hand her off to her mom and I sit there and I think, what am I going to do? Ref's not doing anything. Her father's not doing anything. No one else is doing anything. What am I going to do? And so I look at my bench and I look and I see the secret weapon at the end of the bench. And I walk down to the end of the bench and I kneel down and I look my five-year-old son right in the eye and I go, hey, buddy, you see those two girls back there crying? He nods his little head. I said, do you see your sister over there? She's crying too. I said, yeah, I see it. I said, buddy, you're going to learn a lesson today. We stick up for our teammates and we absolutely stick up for our family. So I need you to go out there and do what you know needs to be done. And he looks at me with those little pudgy cheeks Nods his head, stands up, shin guards up to his knees, pants down to his ankles. And this little two and a half foot tall, 
five-year-old walks out onto the field. And the interesting thing about Logan is he's the sweetest kid in the world, compassionate. You put him on any sort of playing field, any sort of competitive nature, man, he, he, it's like a switch goes off. And so this little baby-faced assassin steps onto the field and the game commences. And all of a sudden, as the ball's over here in the group, it shoots off from the herd. Somebody kicks it out here. And I see Bertha running towards the ball. And I start to look for Logan to see what's going on. And I just see an orange blur out of the corner of my eye. And this kid, outweighed by 40 pounds, towered over by Bertha, goes running with a full head of steam with all he's got. And guys, I cannot make this up. At the exact same time, they both swing their legs to kick the ball. And they hit the ball at the exact same time. And boom, down goes Bertha. And the ball shoots off and Logan runs up and with his left foot kicks it in the goal and scores a goal and celebrates. And the crowd goes nuts and I look right at the parole officer father right in the eye and I go, hey, you see that, pal? Way to go, son. Way to play aggressive. And I just stare this man down. And never in, the, in my life have I felt such a sense of justice and pride in my boy. He stuck up for his family. Did everything. Oh man, this is awesome. And I turned around to celebrate with the rest of the orange teammate parents. And I caught eyes with my wife and she looked at me with a look of disappointment. I thought, man, what? And I looked at some of the other parents and they kind of were looking at me like, what are we doing trusting our kids to this man to instill character in our kids? Now, let me, let me be honest with you. Sticking up for your teammates, is that a great lesson? Absolutely. Sticking up for your family, man, I'll die for that one too. But there's a hundred other ways I could have instilled that lesson and that character into my son and to these young kids that didn't involve my selfish sense of justice. It didn't involve my vengeance and my wrath and my taking out a poor seven-year-old girl because her father won't say anything. There's a lot of selfishness in that. Was justice served? I don't know. For a moment it was for me. But man, what did it cost me? What did it cost me as a father? What did it cost me as a husband leading my family? What did it cost me as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ carrying a witness in front of all of these parents? And I think it cost me a lot. And so as we look at a passage today that, I'll be honest with you, if, if you're sitting there going, man, I want justice, this passage may not be the most encouraging passage for you here in this world, but there's a lot of hope and confidence that can bring us in the world ahead. So really the question is this, how do we respond to injustice? How do we respond to the injustice done to us? So that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm going to pray for us because I'm going to ask some, maybe some very challenging, hard things for some, really for all of us, if we're willing to go here and to surrender things over to the Lord and trust God to do what only God can do. So let me pray for us in advance and let's pray for our time in the word of God. God, we thank you so much for this incredible gift in your word. God, as we heard last week, it's just a great truth. God, it's a foundation that we can stand on when this world doesn't make sense and we look at the things around us and we question, God, we can find truth here in the pages of this book. And so God, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do and that's enlighten our eyes to see what it is you would say to us. And God, I pray for some, God, I pray for all really, myself included, as we wrestle with this topic of injustice, God, that you would give us the courage to lean into you, to trust in you, even when things might not make sense to us, God, that we would trust in your character and your nature and your goodness. God, certainly in your future. And God, as we release things over to you, I pray you'd meet us in that space. So we love you. We thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So guys, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, Ecclesiastes is an incredible book. It's written by uh, what we're known as the good teacher. Most believe it to be Solomon, wisest man ever to live. And he kind of takes his personal journal out and writes down his quest for truth, his quest for meaning and purpose in life. And so that's what the whole book is about. And we come to chapter 3, verse 16. And we're going to look at 16 through 18. You, could, you can read the whole chapter. I'd encourage you to do so. But here's what it says. Verse 16 says, Moreover, I saw under the sun... That in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time for every matter and for every work. I also said in my heart with regard to the children of men, that God is testing them. That they may see that they themselves are but beasts. All right, what's, what's going on here? Well, here's essentially what the author is saying. He's saying, look, I searched the world for justice, for absolute, pure, righteous justice. But in the place of justice, what I found was wickedness. And then I searched in the place of righteousness, in the place where you'd think, man, justice is surely there. Something good's going to be there. Even there in the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. He's setting up a doctrine, a doctrine that, that theologians and, and people call now this idea of, of total depravity. But here's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to say, look, you can look for justice on this planet, in this, in this world, and you're never going to find absolute, pure, righteous justice. You're just not. Go back and read Genesis 3. In the, in the very beginning of the Bible, mankind falls. Sin enters the world. And from that moment on, uh, justice left us completely. Pure, righteous justice. And so we begin to look, and we look at the world around us, and we search for, for someone to, to make things right. And yet we're constantly disappointed and we don't find it. Here's what Paul would say in, in Romans chapter 3. Some of you guys have heard this passage before, but here's what I want you to understand and to realize. When it comes to injustice, this, this truth that, that we are in a depraved world is absolutely rock-solid true. He's quoting the book of Psalms, so it's Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament, post-cross, where you begin to see this idea of, of everyone's fallen. And so as I read this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture the most righteous person you know. The person that you would say, oh man, this is the most godly, holy, righteous person you know. And I want you to read this passage, understanding that this also talks about them. Because I need us to understand this, this concept of a fallen, broken world before we're going to move forward with a hope. So here's what Ephesians, or Romans chapter 3 says. It says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now you can read that, you can hear that and go, man, that sounds strong. That sounds real strong, and yet in the reality is this. Compared to a perfect, holy, righteous God, that is absolutely true of us, each and every one of us. So the author of Ecclesiastes says, look, you look for justice, and all you find is wickedness. That's because this is a fallen world. This world is fallen. You look, for, you look for justice, you look for righteousness, and even there there is wickedness. That's because this world is fallen. So here's what I need you to get. This church, our church, Gospel Bible Church, is run by some of the most godly men on the face of the earth. 
Our elder board is incredible. They love the Lord. They love each other. They pray for you guys. They pray for this church. They lead this church. And yet not one of them would stand up here on this stage or any stage and look at you and say, they're not fallen, broken, sinful human beings in need of a savior. Same is true of our pastoral staff. We have men and women on our pastoral staff that, man, they love you guys. They're chasing you down even right now amidst everything that's going on. And they long for the day when they can see you face to face again and be with you because they love you. And they are godly men and women. And yet they need the hope of Jesus Christ because they, like myself, are fallen. We're not righteous, not even one. And so as you look, as you pursue it, as you look to all these worldly things to find your sense of justice, I, I hate to disappoint you today, but the reality is you're never going to find it this side of heaven. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes would go on to say. Go back to the Ecclesiastes 3 slide if you could. He says, look, so I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. He looks at the injustice of the world and goes, man, this isn't right. There's injustice everywhere. So where do we find our hope? And he goes, oh, that's right. There's a day coming when the God of the universe is going to judge this world righteously and pure and with absolute justice. And so we can find hope in that. We'll talk more about that in just a second. So then the question comes as I'm studying this and I'm looking at it, I'm going, okay, well, what's the point? Why? Why even have, why is injustice out there? God, if you could fix it, why don't you fix it? And he says this in verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. What's he testing us for? That they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Here's the test. Now, we would see that we are but beasts. What's he talking about there? Well, I, I had some trouble with this, and I got a lot of different thoughts from the commentators. But then I called our pastor emeritus, uh, Daryl Del Husay, the foremost authority on Ecclesiastes that I know. And I said, Daryl, help me understand this. And he said, here's what, here's what the author is trying to say. He's saying on a paradigm spectrum, when you have God's perfect, holy, righteous justice and morality over here, and you have beasts and cattle and everything else over here, he said, Kevin, what, what, what God is doing as, he, as you deal with injustice in the world around us is he's constantly reminding us and testing us and forcing us to realize that we are far closer to beasts and cattle when it comes to even the greatest things that we can do than we are to God. And so the injustice that we suffer, the injustice that we deal with, in a sense, is a constant reminder to us to instead of focusing on the injustice, to bounce our eyes up and realize, God, I need something greater than myself. To find everything we need in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if we're looking for justice and what's fair now, we might never find it. So we better look forward to the hope that we have in Christ. And to really what we're going to end today on, the injustice of the cross, as we look to Jesus Christ, who can do what only he can do, and that is fix our fallen, broken nature. Because don't forget, no one is righteous, not even one. We all need a Savior. So we can find that in Christ. Now, as you hear this, as you look at this, and you hear this idea of, man, man the world is unjust. And until Christ comes back and makes all things new, that's the reality of what we live in. There's a couple of options you can do. And we're going to go through really how I, how I tend to respond to injustice. I'm going to say three of these are more of a caution and a warning to maybe identify them so we can pull ourselves out of it. And the fourth one, I think, is the one that is going to provide the most answer and hope. At least it has for me. And so what do we do when we, when we wrestle with this idea of injustice? Well, the first thing, at least it tends to happen to me, is we get incredibly discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to look at the world around you and to, to see what's happening out there and go, God, this isn't right. This, what, what's going on here? 
And so we get discouraged. We can almost become hopeless. We can, we can, we can, we can find ourselves just going, God, when, is it, when, when are you going to do something? I'll be honest with you guys. There's been a number of times, especially during this season, that I found myself on my knees just crying out to God saying, God, would you just come back? Christ, would you just return? I know you're patient. I know you don't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And you, I know you want all of that stuff, but when's enough enough? Can you just come back? Because I'm discouraged, frustrated. I see what's going on around me. And I go, man, God, this can't be what you want. And so we can get discouraged. I think that's what the author is talking about here. But then he quickly jumps to 17 and says, but wait, don't forget. The day is coming when God is going to judge. God is going to make all things new. And so when you find yourself in that moment of discouragement, that moment of hopelessness, that moment where you go, man, I, I'm just, I'm disappointed with, with the reality of what this is. Maybe he's testing you to remind you that we were not meant for this place for eternity. As Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And so what would it look like to, in the midst of the injustice of this world, to sit on it, to pray for it, to be convicted by it, absolutely, but then to bounce your eyes up and go, God, I'm so grateful and thankful that right now is not forever that I can look forward to a future hope, a hope that I can only find in Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, if you're looking for justice this side of heaven, my, my fear is that we're going to be perpetually disappointed. So you can get discouraged. Second thing that can tend to happen is we can become controlled by injustice. We get controlled by it. And here's what I mean by controlled by it. I don't mean that, that we respond to it, because we'll talk about that in just a second. But I mean controlled by it is it begins to control us emotionally. It begins to eat away at our soul. And we begin to give it victory over us when it never should. And so it eats away at us. It eats away at us. And so when I begin to think and ponder of the injustice done to me, I look back and I, and I begin to think about it and I stew on it and I fester on it. And all that does is create a couple of things. The first thing it usually creates in me is a sense of spite. And the reality with spite is spite is a powerful motivator. It's a powerful motivator. But it burns quick. It's like, it's like rocket fuel. You can light it up and it can get a lot done, but man, it's gone quick. And so spite fuels me. It begins to control me and then I begin to react to the world around me and I'm just motivated by spite. And when the spite runs out, what am I left with? I'm left with this root of bitterness that's beginning to grow inside of me. It begins to eat away at me. And I think about it and I go, man, I want justice. And I, and I just, I stew on it. It eats up at my soul. And I have this internal battle going on. Eventually that internal battle ends up controlling me by the way that I react to the world around me. And I respond differently to those people that love and care about me. So I react. I begin to push people away. My kids will come in the room and I'll blow up at them for no reason. I'll go, man, what's wrong with dad? What did I do? The reality is you did nothing. Dad is angry about this. This was wrong. This wasn't right. And there's injustice done. And, uh, and so I'm taking it out on you. We begin to push people away. We begin to sever relationships. And then ultimately, as it begins to really take root in my life, it leaves this world. I've blown up this world. And I begin to look up and I begin to shake my fist in anger at God and go, God, you got to be kidding me. What did I do to deserve this? This is not right. This is not fair. And like a whiny little five-year-old, I look and shake my fist at the God of the universe and say, I'm entitled. And then I'm quickly reminded when it comes to the end of it all that no, I'm not. I'm not entitled. I'm not righteous. Not even one. I need Jesus for everything. 
And the greatest injustice of all time was, it, was spent on the sacrifice of God's only son. And so when I get to that place, only then do I begin to find any source of healing, any source of hope. So when I begin to look to the cross. And so here, here's, here's the reality. And if you've tuned out, man, just tune in just for a second. Because this has been my fear. And I've talked to some people about this and I've been praying hard about this moment. I don't want this moment at all to sound non-empathetic or petty or shallow. Because I know there are some of you that you look at, you're watching this even right now and you look and you look at me and you go, what kind of injustice has been done to you? Do you know what I've experienced? I don't. Some of you I know have been wronged in business to the tune of millions of dollars. Some of you I know have have watched those around you put in places of of power and position over you and you're sitting there grinding it out doing everything that you know you are to do and they get all the accolades and you don't. You can go read Psalm 73. It's all about that. Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? It's been going on for years. Some of you I know have been emotionally, physically, sexually abused. And that is the greatest form of injustice I could possibly imagine. And so as I say this next statement, please don't take it as a a fortune cookie. Do this and you're all better. I understand it's going to take a lot more than that. But the truth is, the reality is, the more we begin to fester, the more we begin to think, the more we begin to hold on to the injustice done to us, the more it begins to control us. And so as you sit there and as you, as you maybe even shake your fist at me right now and go, what are you about to say? Hold on to this. You've got an option. You've got a choice. You can continue to hold on to that with all you've got, that bitterness, that injustice, that wrong, and your sense of wanting what's right. And you can hold on to it and it can continue to control you. Or you can do the one thing, the only thing that I've ever found that's worked. And, I, and hear me on this. And that is begin, just begin. Take the, pro, take the first step to begin to take that double grip you've got and begin to let go just a little bit. To let go just a little bit. I know it might be too scary to let it all go and leave it at the feet of the cross, but just let go a little bit and let's see what God does. Let's see what God does when he moves into that space. As you sit there and as you think about it and you, 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 you ponder what's been done to you, what might it look like to just close your eyes right where you're at and envision yourself kneeling before the cross of Jesus Christ, him nailed to the cross looking down at you, a fallen human being, but he looks down at you with love and compassion and grace. And his father, the God of the universe, standing right beside him, looking down at you, saying, I long to help. Let me take that from you. What would it look like for you just to loosen your grip a little bit I'm going to say, God, I need you. I need you to do what only you can do. And so I want to begin to release some of this. You have the courage to do that. This is what Paul got to when he got to Ephesians chapter 4. He says this. He says, let all bitterness. There it is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. Guys, as you ponder the injustice done to you, do you sense bitterness? Is wrath what comes out first? Anger, clamor, slander, certainly malice. Those are the things that at least dwell up inside of me when I think I want what's right. And so what can I do to get it? But then he goes on to say this. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. There's the ask. But here's the motivation. As God in Christ forgave you. 
So here's what I've had to force myself to do. When I think of those that have wronged me, that have hurt me in the past, what I've forced myself to do is to stop, take a breath. And when I long for justice, when I, when I begin to let my mind wander and think about what I could do, when I think of little Bertha out there on the field and I go, man, I'm going to send my son in there to get her. That's how I want to respond. That's how I want justice. That's my wrath and my anger and my vengeance coming out. What might it look like for me not to give that control, not to give that any control, but I try and remind myself, I need Jesus Christ for everything. I'm a fallen human being. I need you for everything, God, and so I'm not entitled to anything. And so was that wrong? Yeah. Was it fair? Absolutely not. Is it what you wanted, God? I don't believe so but I can trust you. I can trust in your goodness and I can let this go because my only other option is to hold on to it, to let it eat me up from the inside and control me and do more damage than it is ever meant to do and give the enemy victory over me. And so what does it look like for you wherever you're at as you sit there to begin to take that step, that courageous step to let go? Man, I hope that you can get to that place because I know, I, I fully trust and believe that my good father will meet you in that moment and we'll begin to do things that only he can do and begin to heal you from the inside out. So we can get discouraged by it or we can look to the future hope that we have. We can be controlled by it or we can look to the cross and realize we've been forgiven much. So is there a chance for us to just begin to loosen our grip a little bit and experience forgiveness for those around us? Then we can act on it. Third thing we can do is we can act on it. Now, let me be clear about this. Acting on it, there, there's two types of acting upon things. Social justice movement is running wild right now, and it's awesome. And there's a lot of incredible things going on. There's people noticing injustice and saying, we're going to step into that, and we're going to move, and we're going to do something about it. And that is awesome. Social justice is a great thing. And you can certainly act on the injustice in the world around you. Let me caution you on two things. One is just because your heart is moved towards social justice or one particular field of social justice, don't force that upon everybody else. That's what God made you passionate about. But just because you're passionate about something and I'm passionate about something different doesn't make what my cause less than yours or, or vice versa. Uh, but the other thing is this, you're going to be hit up and we are hit up right now with social justice movements all over the place. And everybody's coming at us with this different thing and they're all great. We can all make a case for all of them. But don't be, don't be ashamed or embarrassed or afraid to say, that's great for you, but this is the one that I feel called to, and to act upon it. But as you act, as you get out there, as you begin to advocate for the injustice you see around you, don't lose sight of the fact that injustice is inevitable. We're not going to solve all of it. But be careful, be cautious. Check your own heart. Because as soon as conviction turns into vengeance. We've crossed the line. And now the enemy begins to work. And so as you look at the injustice going around you, if you feel called, if you feel moved to step into that, absolutely do so. But make sure that pendulum stays far on the side of conviction and grace and love and the desire to, to help others. As soon as it crosses over to you getting your pound of flesh and you making things right and you getting what you feel like you're deserved or entitled to, then I feel like the pendulum swung into the enemy's camp. And he began to do some work there. Because that's where, at least for me, at least for me, where my mind begins to go. And I begin to think of things that are far from what God would desire for me when it comes to getting vengeance and getting what's right. And I'll show them. I'll get my pound of flesh. That's why Paul would also write this in Romans chapter 12. He would say, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so again, as you feel called, as you feel moved into an idea of of acting upon the injustice around you, uh, don't forget the day is coming when God is going to judge all things. So don't be afraid to leave room for the Lord's wrath. And say, God, what have you called me to do? To love, to forgive as you've forgiven me. Don't forget who God is and who you are. And respond to the injustice around you with a heart of compassion and grace and love. But as soon as it crosses over to vengeance, malice, slander, I think the enemy is working. He's taken a great cause and used it against you. So just be careful of that. Here's the last thing that we can do, and I hope you've caught on this already, but we can get discouraged by it, certainly. We can be controlled by it. We can act upon it. Or we can, in humility, in absolute humility, fall on our knees and look to the cross. Look to the cross of Christ. The only source of hope that I've found in this book and in this world. Look to the cross of Christ. See, the reality is, is the cross of Christ is where we see the greatest injustice ever done on this planet, ever. It's the greatest act of injustice. When you think about it, a perfect human being in the, in, in, when, in the form of a human being, God comes to earth, lives a perfect life. At the end of his life, he's let off and he's murdered on a cross for the sins of the world, mine included. And we can read through the scriptures and we can blame the Jews and the Romans for what they did and go, how could you not see it? But don't lose sight of the fact that your sin and my sin was there too. And we were very much a part of that whole process. And so in the most unjust act in the world, a perfect human being in the form of Jesus Christ is murdered on a cross. Why? So that I could experience the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. Guys, that's unjust. Nothing fair about that. The only difference is I benefit greatly from that act of injustice. And so at times we tend not to see it. Tend not to see it that way. Have you found yourself in the midst of everything that's been going on in this world currently right now, getting to the end of it all and going, God, this is, I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. I'm beginning to be controlled by the injustice. I just want to act out. I want to seek my vengeance. What might it look like for you in the humility of your own place, wherever you're at, to find yourself kneeling at the feet of the cross saying, God, I'm so sorry. I need you for everything. I can't fix the hurt inside of me without your forgiveness and hope. I can't fix my sinful, fallen, totally depraved nature without the hope and the forgiveness and the sacrifice of your son. And so I need you for everything. I'm a firm believer in this, guys. Until we get to that moment, we can give you a bunch of of things. You can meet with a counselor. They can give you some self-help tools to to help and and kind of put Band-Aids on the problem. But at the end of the day, if we don't get our heart right, if we don't surrender everything over to the Lord, we're just playing the game. We're going to keep seeking justice in a fallen, broken world. But if we can find everything we need in Jesus Christ, then God begins to change us. God begins to do things. And God begins to instill in us a hope that when we look at the world around us, we don't just see it with a, with a sense of discouragement, but we see it with a heart of compassion and go, man, how can I bring this hope of Christ to a world that desperately needs it? And we can allow our mind to drift and think about what it will be like to be in God's presence for all eternity, to experience forgiveness and hope now. That's life-changing. Only found in Jesus Christ. And so I don't know where you're at. If you've, if you've heard this a thousand times, if you've never heard it before, man, my prayer has been that maybe for the first time with an enlightened heart and eyes open through the power of the Holy Spirit, you might hear this. God loves you. 
He absolutely loves you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the injustice done to you. And is he happy about it? No, his wrath is coming. But he looks down at you with a heart of compassion and love and grace and says, I love you. And because I love you, I sent my son to die for you. And even though you are a sinner, you are not righteous. You haven't done anything to deserve this. He, I, I sacrificed him for you because I love you. And if you're, if you're able to, if you're willing to, if you're able to take that step of faith and say, I believe in the son of Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave. We just celebrated that at Easter. In that moment, the grace, love, and hope of Jesus Christ enters into your world. We'll fix everything. It will eventually. Will it be super easy? No. This is a hard thing for some of you, harder than others because of the injustice done to you. But I'm telling you right now, it is the only source of hope and the only solution we can find in this world. Last thing, we'll end with this. Because as I was talking to some people about this, they said, well, what are you gonna do with this question? Because when it comes to injustice, a lot of us love to, to, to get to the point where we go, well, if God is all loving, if God is good, you just got done telling me God loves me and God's for me, then why injustice? And so we get angry. Like I said, we, that, that, that bitterness begins to control us and we shake our fists and we get angry at God. And the truth of the matter is, guys, I can't give you an absolute answer. I can tell you this, God is good. God knows what he's up to. He knows what he's doing, but I don't. I don't know what he's up to all the time. I don't know what he's doing. So in those moments, I got to lean back on his character. And what does his word say? We're back to what Jamie said last week. Not what do I feel, but what does the truth say? And so I'm going to give you the freedom. And you don't need it from me, but I'll give you the freedom. You want to shake your fist at God? You want to blame God for the injustice done to you? That's fine. Yell at him, scream at him, do anything you need to do, just as long as you're willing to acknowledge this. That very God that you're blaming for the injustice done to you is the only God and the God that brought the only solution to the injustice that you've done to others and that's been done to you in Jesus Christ. So you want to blame him? That's fine. You just better acknowledge the fact that he fixed the problem of this world when he came to earth and died for us. And so I don't know where you're at. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. But if you're at the point where you'd say, man, I, I know that I need something. I know that I have, I, I have a hole in my soul and I need the hope of Jesus Christ. I want you to reach out to us. We will get back to you this week. Email us, go online, click on a link, fill out a card, whatever you need to do, call us. We will follow up with you because we want nothing more than to put our arms around you and begin to pray with you and encourage you as a brother or sister in Christ and welcome you to the family of God and help you take those steps. I know for some of you, those steps are gonna be far more challenging than others and the courage it's gonna take is gonna take much more for some of you than others. But trust me and my good father, he will meet you in the midst of it all and he will bring you the hope and the peace that you can only find in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. And God, though it's discouraging at times to think that this world has fallen and broken and it's not gonna get better until you come back, God, I pray that when I find those moments of discouragement that you would let me lift my head up, fix them on you. Let me find the author and perfecter of my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are out there, God, that have suffered injustice that I don't even want to think about. God, I pray you'd give them the courage to release some of that over to you. God, that maybe, just maybe today, they would take that first step of letting go, no longer letting the enemy have victory 
over the wrong done to them, but they begin to surrender that to you. And God, I pray you would meet them in that place like never before, that you would bring peace like your word says that surpasses all understanding. And God, I will thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. So God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this gift and your word. Pray that it would inspire us and teach us even the rest of this week. We love you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.